a man by the name of Fred Craddock, who is a professor of preaching. He tells a story about a young pastor who goes to pray with an older woman. She's near death, and she's in the hospital lying on the pillow, gasping for breath. He visits with her, and then he says, I need to go, but would you like to have prayer before I go? The, old, the older woman says, yes. I'd like to pray that I would be healed, of course. Well, the young pastor gasps, but goes on, and he prays, Lord, we pray for your sustaining presence with this sick sister. And if it be thy will, we pray that she will be restored to health and to service. But if it's not your will, we certainly hope that she will adjust to her circumstances. Suddenly the older woman opens her eyes and sits up in bed. She throws her feet over the side of the bed. She stands up and she says, I think I'm healed. As she strides out the door, the last pa the pastor sees of her, she's striding down the hall toward the nurse's station saying, look at me, I'm healed, I'm healed. The pastor goes down the steps, goes out of the parking lot, or into the parking lot. Before he opens the door of his car, he looks up and says, don't ever do that to me again. That's what he says. Clearly, that pastor was not expecting God to hear his prayer. If he did, he wouldn't have responded that way. He was startled by it. He wasn't expecting God to do a mighty work in this woman's life. As I read that story uh, this past week, I was reminded of the passage we're going to look at this morning. It's a long one. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 all the way to Acts 4, verse 31. And in that story, we see an individual who is going to be healed, just like the woman in the story in the intro to the message. This man is a lame individual sitting at the gate of the temple. He's over 40 years old. He's been there in that situation, not being able to walk for over 40 years. Yet, the response of Peter is unlike the response of the young pastor. He wasn't surprised that God was going to heal. And you can tell by the way he responds to the healing. And so when we look at this text, it's a text that clearly indicates that God works in a powerful way in this fallen world, okay? And the question that this passage deals with is this. What should God's people expect to happen when God begins to work in a powerful way through his people in public? Contrary to the healing that takes place in the story that I just read to you this morning, which was private, was most likely in a room between him and the woman, older woman who was healed. In this particular case, the healing takes place publicly at the temple. So the question is, what should God's people expect to happen when God begins to work in a powerful way to bring about healing through his people in public? Number one, the mighty work of God's people done in public will often begin when those who are in need of healing are attentive to the words of God's servants and possess a strong belief that something will happen to them. Verses one to five. 
Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Keep in mind, this is the infancy of Christianity, right? It's not long before Jesus died and he rose again. So this is the very beginnings of the Christian movement. Peter and John are Christians, but they're still Jews, and they're going to worship as Jews. And at that time, they offered two sacrifices per day, one in the morning and the one in the late afternoon, evening. The ninth hour, Peter and James, Peter and John, as Jews, go to the temple to worship. There's a sacrifice that's going to be offered, but at the same time, there's, an, they're going, to have, there's going to be a time of prayer accompanying that. The ninth hour is 3 p.m., so here we see that even though they're Christians, they're worshiping as Jews. Okay, So there's not a lot of Jews who believe in Jesus at this particular time. Jesus knows that. So we see that they both go to the temple at the ninth hour to worship. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms or money from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, asked for money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Notice what happened. There's the individual sitting at the beautiful gate. This gate was more ornate and more decorative than all the other gates at the temple at that time. And this is where he was, typically would sit. As Peter and John go to the temple to worship, there's the man, right? He's sitting at the gate. Peter and John see him. The first thing Peter says, says, look at me. Look at me. Why does he say that? He's trying to get his attention. Why is he trying to get his attention? Because he's at the temple, and the temple is a public place. There's people coming, and there's people going. And Peter wants to do something for this man, but he also wants this man to know who's doing it for him. So he says, Look at me. I want your undivided attention. First thing. And then when he got his attention, he looks at Peter as if he's going to get something from him. He had a strong belief. The word expectation, if you look it up in the dictionary, expectation or expecting something means you have a strong belief that something's going to happen to you. You have a strong belief that something is going to happen. It is interesting to note that this person here doesn't say that he's a Christian. He's not a believer in Jesus Christ. There's nothing to indicate that he was. He's at the temple. He has a need. And Peter sees that he has a need. And he gets his attention. And as a result, the person who needs the healing is expectant. He expects to get something in return. When people out there in the world who don't know God, and God wants to do a mighty work in public, he wants two things. Listen to God's servants. Be attentive to what they're saying. Be focused to what that individual is saying and be expectant. Expect something to happen. That's all he says. Two important things, two important factors that are going to be necessary for people who are going to be recipients of God's healing. Be attentive to God's servants and expect that God's going to do something for you. I'm not suggesting, and what this text is not saying, that if this man just simply wished that he was going to be healed, that it would happen. That's not what he's doing. The healing is up to Jesus. Jesus wants to heal this individual, but he also expected something from Peter. He thought he was going to get money, but he got much more than what he 
thought he was going to get. He ended up getting healed. But we see the very first element that when God is going to do something powerful in our world, those who are need healing are going to be attentive to God and his servants when they speak, and they will, they will have an, a sense, an attitude of expectation that something's going to happen. And that's what this man has. Secondly, the mighty work of God's people done in public should lead the person who received the healing to praise God publicly. Verses 6 to 8. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and what? Entered the temple, the public place, with them, walking and leaping, and he praised God. What's he doing? He's praising God publicly. He's being healed publicly. We ought to praise God publicly. You say, well, yeah, we would expect people to praise God publicly. Do that today in today's day and age. See what kind of response you get. Praising God publicly in a fallen world means you're going to be ridiculed. You're not, not everyone's going to believe, as we'll see. But this is the result. What do we expect? What God's going to do something powerfully in our world, in a, fall, in a fallen world? What should we expect? We should expect those who are recipients of God's healing to praise God publicly. That's what we should be looking for. Thirdly, the mighty work of God's people done in public will often lead the public to respond in wonder and amazement to the miracle that has taken place. Verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they, the people, knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. I see, oh my goodness. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's a guy that they've known who's been sitting at this beautiful gate his whole life, not being able to walk. And now all of a sudden he's walking. How did that happen? The, the crowd here who were filled with wonder and amazement are not believers in Jesus Christ. They may have been Jews who were worshiping at the temple, but these, remember, it was the Jews who said, you're not the Messiah, so they put him to death. They need to believe that Jesus Christ was alive. And so here you have a wonder that has taken place in a public place at the temple, and they don't know how this happened. They have no idea. So we see that when you see God do a mighty work in a public setting, the response of the public will be filled with wonder and amazement. That will be the response when you see God do something wonderful, mighty, in, in public. Fourth, the mighty work of God's people done in public will provide an opportunity for God's people to share the news that the healing was made possible only through faith in the name of Jesus. It provides an opportunity. The, the wonderful work that God does will provide an opportunity to give testimony to what Jesus Christ has done. Verses 11 to 16. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John... 
all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And so when Peter saw that, that all the people came running to him, he responded to the people. He saw it as an opportunity. So what's he going to do? He's going to give a sermon. He's going to preach. He knows that people are curious as to how did this happen? If someone has not been able to walk for 40 years and all of a sudden you see him walking, aren't you going to say, how in the world did that happen? Right? How? Well, Peter's going to explain. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It's not us. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. How do you think that went over? But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. That's what happened when God did a mighty work in public through his people, it gave the opportunity for God's people to say, you know how this happened? It was done in the authority and power and the name of Jesus Christ. That's how this man is healed. And the fact that this man who was now walking after 40 years of being never walking is evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. This man can't walk if Jesus is not alive. So, that's the test. How is this man walking? You see a supernatural miracle, a sign? We know that this happened because Jesus Christ and his name was being used by his people. That's how this miracle happened. This is the explanation. Number five, the mighty work of God's people done in public will lead many people to the faith despite emerging opposition from the authorities. Verses three, seven, chapter 3, verse 17 to 4, 4. Now he continues his sermon. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance, as did also your rulers in putting him to death. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he's thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, erased, expunged, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. And he gives the example of Moses. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first as Jews, God having raised him 
raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. That's his sermon. You need to repent, you Jews who are worshiping God in the, old, in the temple. You need to repent. Now, as he's preaching, as he's given this sermon, watch what happens. As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, who is responsible for dispensing the temple police, and the Sadducees, which is a sect in Judaism who did not believe in the resurrection at all. They didn't believe in a resurrection. These Sadducees probably had the most, most they held the most uh, power politically at that time period. So this is a very powerful group, okay? The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them as, they're, as he's preaching, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached Jesus, and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000 people. 5,000 people came to believe that Jesus Christ was Lord and alive because of the healing that was done publicly at the temple, which gave an opportunity for Peter to preach, and then people heard the preaching. But as, as God was working powerfully in the fallen world, those who had political authority rise up and try to they question what God's people are doing. And so we see when you begin to see God working powerfully in a fallen world, you're going to see people coming to faith in spite of the opposition that will come alongside it. That's what you're going to see. That's what's happened here. Okay? Those who had political power were questioning, why are you preaching this? If you don't believe in the resurrection and you hear someone preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, you say, hey, why are you teaching that? And believe you me, there's plenty of people out there who do not believe in a resurrection. Right? So that's something to keep in mind. That when God begins to work powerfully in public through his people, he will draw many people to himself in spite of the opposition that will emerge as a result of what God had done in healing a man who was lame. Number six. The mighty work of God's people done in public will often encourage God's people to speak boldly about Jesus in the face of opposition. Verses 5 to 12. And it came to pass, now keep in mind, the reason why Peter and John are in prison now is not because they're being punished. Okay? The purpose of, the purpose of putting them in prison is because this all happened at the evening time. And those who, those, they're, they're concerned about how did this happen, number one. There's something, a miracle happened. So if you're an Old Testament Jew, you're responsible to find out how this miracle happened. Were they using magic or not? If they were using magic, they had to be punished. So what they did, and since this was evening, the court system was closed. So they had to put them in prison to contain them until the next day so that they could have a hearing. That's what's going on. Okay, so and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, the elders, and the scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, 
and Alexander and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, who are these individuals? You have Annas. Annas was the high priest emeritus. He was, he was the high priest who was no longer the high priest. He was retired. Okay? Caiaphas was the current high priest. John may have been Annas's son-in-law. And Alexander, as many, so all you have this hall, all of the family of the high priest, these are the who's who of those who held political power at that time in Israel, okay? This shows you how important this issue was for them to all gather the next day, okay? So they gathered together, and when they had set them, Peter and John, in their midst, they would have formed a semicircle the way they sat, all the leaders, and they would have put Peter and John in their midst, and they say, by what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Think about who he's speaking to now. The powerful people. This is what he says. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, then let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You think he was timid? Why was he so bold? He just saw what God had done when he, when he said, hey, the, the lame man, rise up and walk. When you see that happen, and you know God is working in and through you that way, you can be bold no matter who you're facing. And Peter was facing the most powerful people in Israel outside of the Romans. And he just let, he just let hey, you, not only was he saying, they're telling him, don't speak in this name anymore. And he's, no, I'm not doing it. There's a price to pay for doing this. Then and now. This tells us that when God does a mighty work, through his people, in public, it will embolden God's people to speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, even in the face of those who hold political power, then and today. That's true. Seventh, the mighty work of God's people done in public will often provoke those in authority to threaten the followers of Jesus to keep silent about him in public. Unbelievable. Verses 13 to 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. What does that mean, that they were uneducated or untrained? They weren't, they weren't formally trained as ministers in a rabbinical school, but yet their argumentation and their ability to expound and explain the scriptures was far beyond their capacity of what the religious leaders thought they would have as fishermen. So how did that happen? Well, then they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's the key. It was then and it is now. Are you with Jesus? Are you spending time with Jesus? Doesn't matter if you go to seminary, to relevant. 
What's key is that you spend time with him. And when you spend time with him, you will get the boldness and you'll know what to say when you need to say it. The same God that was working through Peter then is the same God that is alive and will work through us today. Isn't that true? Verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, Hey, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What's going on? Peter's saying, hey, you may have a hard time discerning whether or not you want to follow God or not, but we don't have to, we, we're settled on that issue. We know what we're going to do. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Why? Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. What's going on here? Take away their right to speak freely. That's exactly what's happening. Sound contemporary? This is telling us that when God wants to work powerfully through his people in a public setting, expect those who have political power and control to try to muzzle God's people. And you're seeing the groundwork for that now. You can't say whatever you want to say on social media platforms. You'll be silenced. Where is that going to go? Keep in mind that the enemy of our souls has been at work through the political structures throughout history of the world. We saw that in the Assyrian Empire when they took over and invaded the northern kingdom. We see it in the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar when he made an image that people had to worship and they had to bow down to it. If they didn't, they get thrown into fire. Just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see that in the Persian Macedonian Empire the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Macedonian Empire, and then we see it in the Greco-Roman Empire. All the major empires were satanically inspired to persecute God's people throughout history. And that same enemy is alive today. And if we think that it won't happen again, we would be naive and foolish. The enemy is going to work through the political systems and those in power and authority to muzzle the work of God and God's people. And he's laying the ground that for that groundwork for that right now. But he's going to do it gradually over time. All of this is simply to say that when God does a mighty work through his people in public, expect those in power to try to silence the speech of those who are speaking boldly concerning what God is doing in our world because the enemy does not want people out there who don't know Jesus to know Jesus Christ, that he is alive. So what does that mean for the church? What do we do then? Since we know this is what's going to happen, what do we do? Number eight, 
the mighty work of God's people done in public should lead the church to pray for boldness in the midst of opposition so that God's mission in the world advances. Verses 23 to 31. And being let go, they went to their own companions, the church, their local community of believers, and reported all that the chief priests, those in positions of power and authority, had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, please deliver us from the suffering that we're about to endure. Is that what what they do? Well, please take away this suffering and this persecution that we're going to endure as your people. That's not what they do. What do they do? Lord, you are God who made heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You are sovereign. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings, the rulers of the earth, took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, both Gentile leaders and Jewish leaders, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel themselves, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look upon their threats, and here's the request, And grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hands to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, a sign of God's approval and a sign of God's presence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God with boldness. God is telling us through his word, he's telling the church, this is what I want you to do as the days and the months and the years go by and the opposition becomes more vocal and the the pressure to silence those who are God's people becomes more intense. I want you to pray to me and I want you to pray that you will continue to be bold in proclaiming my mission that I have for you to do on the earth. That's what I want you to do. Be faithful to that, and I will be with you, and I will grant you success, and more people will come to the faith in spite of the opposition that is against you. That's the lesson. God is going to do something spectacular in the not-too-distant future where you're going to see signs and wonders that will need explanation. And if it's truly led by the Spirit of God, for there is an Antichrist who can also do signs and wonders and will imitate the true And we need to know, well, if this is a sign and a wonder, how did this happen? If they say it was done in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, who was died and rose again, we know who's the source of this healing. And when that happens, expect opposition from those in positions of power and authority to rise up, to try to silence those who God is using. Expect it. And then the church, as a result, should be bold and not be timid or shrink back from the mission that he has called the church to do. We're on the cusp of something that God's going to do very, very powerfully, which is what I believe God has given me this message to give to you now. The church needs to be ready. Two weeks ago, we had someone in the church ask me, said during prayer time, 
I want to pray for the pastors in the church because we're going to be going through spiritual warfare to the degrees or likes of which we have not seen in our lifetime. And he's right. We need to be armed. We need to know the truth. And we need to be bold. Regardless of what anyone says, if, we have, if we're standing on the word, that's all we need. That's all we need. So the church needs to be bold going forward. God is going to be at work in a powerful way. This happened because God wanted it to happen. He wanted that man healed publicly. And he knew all of, that, all of what was going to happen as a result of it. He knew it. And he's telling us we need to be aware of it as well so that we can take the proper course of action and continue to rely upon him and his strength so that we can be victorious in the battles that we face in this fallen and broken world. Amen? Let's pray with me. Father in heaven, it's a powerful passage in Acts. You are a God who heals and you're a God who loves people. In all of our brokenness, in all of our flaws, in all of our shortcomings, you love us and you will meet us where we are at. Lord, if it's your will to heal an individual person's, we pray that you would do that. And when you do act in such a way where your power will be displayed publicly before the world, we pray that we as your people will boldly proclaim the source and the cause of such power being manifested in this world. It is not of us, like Peter said. We, it is not our godliness, like Peter said, but it's because of you who transforms your people and desires to use us for your glory and for the good of those who, who need healing. Lord, we ask that you would give us the boldness that is required and is necessary to be successful as your agents in this world. Give us the words that we need. Give us the faith that we need. Give us opportunity to proclaim your word, knowing full well ahead of time that when we do so, there will be opposition, and they will come from the least likeliest of places, but places that it has come from for thousands of years, places in power, people who will power and authority. And when that does happen, Lord, we shouldn't be surprised when it does. But when it does happen and they threaten us and they try to silence us, help us to be faithful to you no matter what. We are to be faithful to you, first and foremost. And whenever our leaders tell us to do something that is contrary to your word and to your will, help us to give us, give us the strength and the courage to be faithful and loyal to you. For you are sovereign. And we will give you the thanks and the praise for the healings that you do in people's lives and for the souls that are being won for the kingdom. Make us people that you can use in this process. However you see fit, we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Our closing song this morning is 10,000 Reasons. There are many reasons. 10,000 reasons isn't enough, but 10,000 reasons we're going to stand up. We're going to praise God this morning. Would you please stand if you are able?
Bless the Lord, O my soul. We worship his holy name because his name alone is worthy of all worship and glory and praise. And he's going to do wonderful, marvelous things, the likes of which I don't think we've seen in our lifetime. God is going to go on the move. He's going to go on the offensive. But when he does, we have seen what will happen as a result. So as the church of Jesus Christ, keep that in mind.
It shouldn't take the church by surprise. And we know what we ought to do as a result. Pray to him for boldness, trusting in him in the process, and he will grant us success in all that we do. He won't take away the suffering, but he will be present with us in the midst of it and will help us overcome any obstacle that comes our way. We give him praise because of who he is. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Actually, don't go yet. We're going to have a meal. So let me just pray real quick for the meal before we fellowship, okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to worship you. We thank you for your word. You are communicating to us today. You can sense it in your spirit. And Lord, we just uh, pray that uh, our fellowship would be a time of great uh, encouragement to us. Bless us as we spend time together. Bless the food that we're about to receive. We are grateful for all those who spent uh, all the time and effort and, and preparation for the food. Bless it. Uh, strengthen our bodies so that we can glorify you with them. Bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.